And in three, two, one. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Investment Property Income Podcast. As always, my name is Jeff Eady. Well, I guess it always is Jeff Eady. <sighs> it always, yes, as always, it is Jeff Eady. Oh, boy. And joining me today is the uh, sharpest attack, <laughs> man of my uh, nightmares, <laughs> one of Canada's top mortgage brokers. Mr. Jonathan Tilger. Jonathan, how are you today? <laughs> oh, I, I, I'm laughing already because I, I never know how you're going to introduce me. It's always so much fun how you do. So, so I'm awesome. How about yourself? I'm fantastic. You got to love what you do. <laughs> I really should practice these before I start, but it's so much more fun off the cuff. Uh, Jonathan, as you know, Somehow, Fox News has crept into my YouTube feed, and when I've got it running in the background, I hear all sorts of weird things come on uh, on, on on my television that I wouldn't normally. I normally go on a very low information diet. I, uh, I I don't listen to the news. I don't read newspapers. If something's important enough, my theory is that my friends will tell me about it, which is true. <laughs> yep. You know, I, uh, heck, I found out like a year and a half after Osama bin Laden was arrested that he was arrested. I had no idea. (laughs) Guess it wasn't that important to people. Anyhow, getting off topic already. One of the things that I keep hearing is uh, blame, 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 blame. They're blaming Biden for everything now. A few months ago, it was Trump. Uh, I missed the good old days when it was blame Canada. Um, Inflation. I'm hearing all sorts of stuff happening in the U.S. about uh, inflation and, and people blaming uh, Biden for it. Up here, I haven't heard, uh, well, I haven't heard so much blame. You know, people don't uh, maybe put the onus on our leadership, I guess. But we're all feeling the pinch of it. Definitely. And as far as, far as the blame, I mean, as, uh, as we've got, what, the election, election's been called, and so... Uh, started hearing a few ads, which is there oh, is a little bit of blame happening in the ads, which uh, oh, which goodness. tends to happen. <laughs> Did they, you know, totally off topic again. I've never understood. We, we, we never do that, do we? No, not ever, not ever. Um, I've never understood mudslinging as a campaign technique. Um, what I was always taught when it comes to leadership is that um, time either exposes or promotes you. And what was it? I think Pablo Neruda said that it's better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and be proven one. The mudslinging is, it's not good leadership. It really no, is. I, I, I agree. It really, really comes down to, it's like, tell me what you're going to do, not what the other person did wrong. hundred percent, hundred percent. I want a leader like that. I'm not saying that I'm backing anybody in particular. I know who I'm not voting for, but um, I want leadership that stands up and says, Hey, we have the right principles and we're just going to let our, our, deeds speak for us never mind what these guys did wrong anyhow all that being said you uh you studied economics at mcmaster did you not i did yes yes you have a ba in it i don't know what that even stands for bachelor of arts bachelor of arts yes yeah i'm a theater school dropout um I love it because you and I are actually on the phone quite a bit. Uh, we had a conversation with a guy whose son went to Harvard. What was the joke? How do you know if somebody went to Harvard? They'll tell you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, I do love sitting in on those conversations where people are talking about their Ivy League educations. I'm like, I dropped out after a year of college. 
<laughs> it's not about where you went to school. It's about how you use what you got. Um, what do you think, having the background in economics, and of course, having your finger on the pulse of Canadians, uh, of the Canadian mortgage market at all times, how much is inflation hurting Canadians right now when it comes to the housing market? Well, the, the how, well, we look at inflation and we look at the housing market because it's almost like the housing market is kind of disconnected from what's happening with inflation. I'm just saying that because inflation rates are, I mean, the Bank of Canada's target is between 1% and 3%. We've had a few months now where I believe the July numbers are in and we were at 3.7%. So it's starting Oof. to become a concern. Now, say, now saying that, the housing market right now is disconnected from the typical inflation because what are things down in your area? You're what, 30%, 40%? 36% year over yeah, year? Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> so to say, well, inflation is, is 3.7%, but housing's going up in certain pockets, 30 to 40% going, that's really beyond the typical inflation. Yeah, that's beyond the typical anything. Yeah. <laughs> so... All right, let's talk about inflation. I'm going to talk about, personally, inflation that I saw this week that I think think is despicable, actually, and that's gas prices. Um, And this is totally not our our typical conversation, I don't think, with the inflation, because, uh, A, it is disconnected from the housing market, but it does affect the income of Canadians when you see everything creep up by a couple of dollars. Like... Here's this is going to be this is going to take me a while to get these thoughts out of my head because I'm, I'm getting a little angry about it because not everybody can afford to to have these inflation uh, ridiculous inflationary rates, especially when they're happening monthly. Um, we've seen it in the cost of wood. Yep. Uh, wood lumber now is ridiculous. I, I don't remember exactly what a, a, a sheet of plywood used to go for, but I know now uh, people are talking about paying over a hundred dollars for a sheet of plywood, which has gone up. I think it's something like in the neighborhood of 78%. I, I, I think if you actually check, I think lumber prices started coming down. They have started coming down. Yeah. So and, is and that this, inflation this- or is that a blip? Well, this, this is this comes down to, I mean, what is inflation? Inflation, inflation is reflected by supply and demand. Mm-hmm. And what happened, and there are certain markets, and lumber is a perfect example, where the price of lumber went up higher, uh, I mean, went a lot higher very quickly. And that had to do with, because of COVID, the mills were shut down. Mm-hmm. And so the supply was cut off. At the same time, people weren't taking vacations, so they decided this is the year to rent on my home. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, so you had this cutoff <laughs> supply with, with an increase in demand. And so that's what led to really a, a huge increase in the price of lumber. So that's not traditional inflation? Is that what you're saying? Well, it's going it, to come back down? It, it, it can be inflation, but inflation is a reflection of supply and demand. This, this is kind of the... the basis that economics is built on supply and demand what drives price supply and demand mm-hmm. i remember i was reading a book years ago and and someone was asking well what like looking at the stock market well what makes the price of a stock go up and the guy and this was like a big fund so they had money so the guy just sat there just keep pushing by just keep pushing by and the price kept going up going that's what drives the price someone's sitting there saying i want to buy this i want to buy this i want to buy this you know that's funny because i was totally going to talk about the uh robin hood gamestop 
thing that happened a, a few months ago. Uh, I don't know where GameStop's at now, but I don't imagine they're doing nearly as well as they were back in what was that uh, March, April? Yeah, I, I don't know either, but yeah, they had uh, they had quite the run up, <laughs> which just just had to do with there was a sudden very increase in demand for the stock. Yeah, and and well, see, this is where things get really interesting because the typically the buy side is not connected unless it's some sort of insider trading. But in this case, because of social media and the ability to communicate with a lot of people in a very short period of time, the buy side actually dictated the market price. Like, like intentionally, not just, not just by accident. Does that make sense? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, they, they, through what was being done, they got a lot of people into buying the stock, which, which, which caused an artificial increase in the price. Yeah, and then I just find that very interesting that uh, people were, were able to do that. Well, they're definitely not. It was June, I think. Wow. They, I, I'm just looking at the, uh, at the uh, chart for the last six months for GameStop. They went from $100 up to over $300, and now they're back down to $171. They're not which, bad. They're still. Which, which is better than, I mean, they were started out. I think they started out as a $30 or $40 stock. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they were on the brink of closing and then a bunch of gamer nerds online decided to communicate. But this is really interesting. So are you saying, well, I guess I'm saying it. Do we have do we have the power to affect prices by communicating now as Canadians and and, um, buyers? Do we have the ability to affect these prices ourselves? Is the power back in the people's hands? If there's enough people who are supporting something, I mean, it, it, it comes down to, but what you got to keep in mind is there are a lot of people with a whole lot more money than us who at some level, at some level have a little more power to manipulate what's happening. This gets into all like uh, what conspiracy theories and everything else, which I'm not, don't want to go down that rabbit hole. No, but, 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 but at the end of the day, as, as an individual, it's very tough to, but saying that your actions can dictate how things go. So for what instance, is, sorry, go ahead. Go for ahead. instance, sit there and say, well, I mean, if you're saying, well, this company is a bad company, then don't buy their products mm-hmm. and, and your actions. And if enough people do that, then the actions can make changes. So that's, um, the old uh what do they what do they call it uh boycott the old boycott yeah exactly um so sorry i just I, I get upset sometimes when i think about this stuff like we've all seen it at the grocery store where chicken's gone up by three or four dollars or or steak the price of beef is through the roof I don't know anybody that can afford steak anymore, <laughs> but um, the one place I've, I've been seeing a lot of it is, is gas. I mean, this time last year, fuel was under a dollar and I drove by a place the other day and I saw it at, uh, I think a dollar 42. Yep. That's a, like almost a 50% uh, um, jump in a year. What do you think caused that? Well, first of all, the drop below a dollar was, again, going back to supply and demand. Suddenly COVID hit. You had all this built up supply that, that the oil and gas companies had and the demand dropped 
the demand mm. like felt just pretty much disappeared because number one, airplanes stopped flying mm. just because people weren't flying nearly as much mm -hmm. uh, with people working from home. How many people, how many people suddenly I know, I know myself, I look and say, well, I probably drove my car half as much last year as I did the previous year. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how many people did that happen with? So that's where the demand fell. So that drop below a dollar, that was actually, that was like, oh, wait a second, it's below a dollar. It hasn't been here in forever. I just look right now, the price where they are now is really returning to what they, what they were pre-COVID levels. So here's the thing I was going to say that gets me upset is that one gas station was at like a buck 42 a liter. And about six kilometers up the road, you get into a more urban area and it was a buck 20. That upsets me. That 20 cent difference for six kilometers, just because like who's setting the prices at the pumps that, that, that's something that's always not set well with me. Yeah. Well, that, that just comes down to, I mean, as far as the, the choice of the individual gas station, mm -hmm. I know that, that your chains, be it your SO, your shell, whoever else, they probably have some direction of, of what they should be. But I just know that uh, I just know, for instance, when I drive north of the cottage, I always fill up up there because I know it's going to be less up there than it is down here in the city. Mm -hmm. So see, that's so frustrating you're, to me. So you're, you're, you're <laughs> going to get that. You're going to get that to an extent. And part of that is that the, the station in the city has higher costs. Fair. And they, 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 they also have more demand coming in. There's more people going by on a regular basis. So they know they can charge a little bit more. Hmm. So, so we're, we're, we're talking, I mean, we're get, we're back to the economics 101. This is supply and demand. Capitalism is wonderful. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm not saying it's a perfect system, but I am saying it's the best one we've figured out so far. Um, but it, it, uh, it is a little frustrating when you think about um, the fact that you can pay different prices for the same product in different areas, especially fuel. I think that's one of those ones that, that a lot of people feel on a regular basis. You know, I think people have been waiting longer to fill up their, their tanks because of that. So all of this being said, Jonathan, how is this affecting Canadian investors? Let's tie uh, this into something we actually normally talk about. <laughs> One, one of the, one of the, and this is something I, I read years ago, and it's something that as I've seen it sort of play out, it's like, yeah, it's very interesting that, that one of the problems, and basically it was an article I read, and what they stated was one of the problems with when you get into ultra low interest rates is all the normal investment rules go out the table, go off, uh, go off the table, mm -hmm. and people get into speculating, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and they go off the table because the, the whole thing, well, you know, I mean, call it traditional, I'll, I'll call it traditional investing, but, but one mindset of investing is, hey, you want, want, you want some of your portfolio to be in fixed income in interest bearing stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, what incentive is there for me to call it, keep money in interest bearing, uh, in something interest bearing when I'm getting below 1% on it? Mm -hmm. I mean, so, so it leads to more speculative behavior because they're like, well, I need to make a higher return. And speculative behavior ultimately drives prices up uh, disproportionate to inflation and other factors. So we get back onto the roller coaster that causes crashes. Exactly. Kind of makes you a little sick. <laughs> <laughs> and the, the, the other thing, I mean, when we we started talking about inflation here. The other factor that, that leads to inflation is essentially there is, I'll call it an increase in money. 
And it mm -hmm. just has to do with there has been in the last little bit by our government and multiple governments around the world between all these various incentive programs and everything else, there have been fairly large amounts of money that have been given out and printed in effect. And when that happens, that leads to when you got an increase in the money supply, suddenly there's more money out there. And with more money out there to buy the same amount of product, the price of the product will increase. That's inflation. This is the stuff that I don't like about capitalism. So let me ask you more of a philosophical question around this. Will inflation ever kill capitalism? I don't believe so. I believe that that inflation is just a fact of 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 how things operate. And and let me I'll, I'll flip the question back to you. And this is where a lot of people because part of inflation is the price of real estate going up. Mm -hmm. Do you want to buy your house for two hundred thousand dollars today, knowing that in forty years it's going to be worth two hundred thousand dollars? I would say I'm okay with it. Cause that's not my retirement plan. Yeah. I've been saving up my roll up the rims. Um, <laughs> I would say that I'm okay with it because to me, that's just a stable asset. It's not yep. going to grow, but it's stable. Yeah. And that's not where I look at growth personally, but I would say for the majority of Canadians, that's a, that's a big no. Yeah, of course, I'm speaking for the country now. However, yeah. uh, <laughs> oh, God, I'm not a narcissist, I swear. But no, I, I mean, I'm okay with a house being $200,000 10 years from now. That as long as it's the same price I paid for it or better. To me, that's asymmetrical risk. That's I'm my investing philosophy is a lot different than most. I like things that are that are problems because you get paid for problem solving, right? Yeah. It's so like in 2008, when the market crashed, people are pulling back, losing pension funds, getting out of the market. And I think the smartest, most savviest investors were actually going into the market at that point. And they were, you know, when that mass psychology takes place and that, the you know, the herd starts running away from things, that's where, you know, the, I don't want to say predators, but I guess they are kind of apex predators because they're the ones feeding on these things that are left behind. But that's where a ton of money is, is made by a lot of people who are smart. When the, the herd starts to move away from something, there is a lot of opportunity there too. Yep. And, and sorry, just, just back to your question about inflation and, and part of inflation and part of reasons why things go up over time is because we've got a population that is growing. Mm -hmm. And so in effect that uh, if you just say, okay, let's, let's, let's just say that there's a hundred people in the world today and 20 years from now, it will be 110 people. Mm -hmm. So you now have 100, 110 people looking to buy the same number of things as today. So mm -hmm. hence the price goes up. The places where there have been negative inflation is generally areas where populations have decreased. Japan went through a period of that. As you get sort of an older population having less kids, uh, then, then, then that's what led to call it negative inflation for a period of time there. I don't know specifics on, on Japanese economy and everything else. So I, I don't, I don't oh, come on, Jonathan. On <laughs> but, but, but that is one of the factors that leads to inflation over time. Uh, so, so part of the bank of Canada's mandate is they recognize there is going to be inflation. Mm -hmm. 
we've got a growing population. I mean, right now, the growing population is largely due to immigration and not so much childbirth. Mm -hmm. uh, but we do have a growing population. And so part of their mandate is they want to keep inflation in that one to 3% range, because that's a healthy long-term growth or just rate of inflation. Uh, and so when we start getting things higher than that, that's when there starts becoming concern. And right now, we've had a few months where it has been over the 3% mark. I don't think it's getting into scary territory yet. Scary territory. Love it. Scary, yeah, we're not into scary territory <laughs> yet. But they, they are starting to uh, to look at that and starting to to keep an eye on it. Uh, and part of, I mean, one of the Bank, bank of Canada's biggest things is, is interest rates. Mm -hmm. And I know from the policies that they're probably saying not till the latter part of 2022. So I call it a year from now, would they look at raising rates until the popular, until basically Canada returns to more of a, a full state of employment. Uh, but with that, in addition to the fact there is call it money being printed by the government. And I just mean that with government incentives and handouts um, that, that, that one of the side effects is and will be inflation. Do you think we could see hyperinflation? I think in certain uh, certain industries like lumber, we talked about there was a short term burst of it. Mm -hmm. um, housing market in certain pockets, there definitely has been that. I mean, so, one of the things so I remember most in my life was after the fall of uh, the Soviet Union, the bread lines. Yeah, I don't think that would happen here, but is it possible? I, I well. I think we're a long way from that happening here. I think that uh, that with our services, we do we do have a stable government. Like mm -hmm. like them or not, like whoever's in party or not, one of the beautiful things about Canada, which is why a lot of people are saying, hey, they want Canada to be their home, mm -hmm. is because we do have stable government. And, and democracy. Democracy. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So so with, with, with those two factors, it really... Uh, it really reduces the chances of that significantly. <laughs> Jonathan, this is one of those conversations that I think we could carry on forever. I do remember um, with one of the projects that you and I are working on, uh, I got a little deep down the rabbit hole when it comes to economics. And I think I got a BA in economics the one day and called you and I, I sounded absolutely insane, but it just blew my mind that, you know, Basically, the Bank of Canada is the puppet master that, that controls the, the, the strings when it comes to Canada's economy. And if they're screwing it up, they're screwing it up. If they're, they're doing a good job, we're okay. Yep. <laughs> but uh, one of the, the challenges with major government, major banks, is that they are slow to react to the actual market. And uh, I do know they pulled back when, when COVID hit. They started buying a whole bunch of their own bonds, which I find to be weird. <laughs> but that does control the inflation rate and then it's connected when they start selling those bonds it actually affects the interest rate on mortgages which is really interesting to me as soon as they started selling those what did, what did you say it's about a 45 day window from the time they buy or sell canadian uh mortgage bonds or housing uh, mortgage bonds i'm not sure about the 40 or 45 days you said that we typically, uh, you said this to me um, back in the fall, CMH, uh, was it the Bank of Canada or CMHC? I don't remember. Um, started selling a bunch of their housing bonds. <clears throat> yep. And you said that typically when that happens, you will see either a spike or a, a drop in mortgage rates within a, a 
certain timeline, whether it's 45 days or 90 days later, you'll see that actually translate to the regular banks. And then you'll see the, the interest rate on mortgages drop or, or go up. Oh, so, so there, there are two factors. So you've got, you've got variable rate and fixed rates. Mm-hmm. So, so them buying and selling of, of the, basically they're putting money into the mortgage bond market or removing money from the mortgage bond market based on buying or selling and that is to affect the fixed rate the variable rate they can affect directly by just changing the overnight lending rate mm. the fixed the fixed rates that's how they can uh, indirectly affect those i i don't know of a specific time frame but but yeah if they start doing that what will happen is that is that overall the bond they can affect the the value of the bond market which would then affect the value of the the mortgage mortgage market or just the uh, the fixed rate mortgages mind-blowing mind-blowing <laughs> all right jonathan i want to wrap this up just because uh we're gonna go down a whole different rabbit hole if i don't and i know it yep um anything you want to uh any any closing comments you'd like to tell people oh just well obviously always, always, <laughs> always always a pleasure speaking with you jeff i mean we we had a very interesting conversation they absolutely loved it thank you very much for tuning in uh, and if you've got questions on this or anything else we speak about, please reach out, contact me. I'd, I'd love to have a conversation with you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And the one thing I, I think I would say, JT, about all this is think long-term. Yeah. Think long-term, 20, 30, 40 years. Because if you start watching, you know, I remember the first time I ever got into the uh, investment market, I bought a mutual fund. And I looked at that thing six times a day and I almost, you know, talk about stress. <laughs> Then six months later, I looked at it and that was even more stressful because it didn't make any money at all. <laughs> but think long-term, have that game plan, get, get your, your, your goals in line and don't worry about what happens in the short term. If you've got a sound enough strategy, it won't affect you long-term. So as Jonathan said, if you want to get a hold of him, you can certainly reach out at uh, Jonathan at a mortgageplan.com. Jonathan, thank you so much for uh, your time and wisdom. And uh, thank you for listening. We certainly appreciate your time and hope we filled it with a whole bunch of value. Uh, If you want to know more about Jonathan and the things that he does, you can certainly download the Investment Property Income Book at investmentpropertyincomebook.com. Join our meetup on meetup.com, the Investment Property Income Meetup, or just shoot Jonathan an email and say, hey, at jonathan at a mortgageplan.com. Of course, you can find a podcast that you've already found if you're listening to it on all of the major platforms. Jonathan, again, thank you so much. And thank you for your time. Have a fantastic day and we will talk to you soon.